Welcome, and thank you for viewing our weekly sermon. I'm Pastor Malone, and I pray this message be a blessing to you and help you grow closer to Jesus. If you'd like to know more about having a personal relationship with Jesus or to connect with us as a church, please visit westacres.org. Thanks again, and God bless. Well, at this time, I want to invite you to turn in your Bibles to Acts chapter 16. Acts chapter 16, and we're going to be looking at verses 25 through 40 uh, today. And I'm so grateful for uh, our special guest last week, Bryant Wright, opening up chapter 16, showing us uh, this, the beginning stages of this church in Philippi, uh, which, you know, we're so far removed from that. But I just want you to picture Philippi being a church plant because that's what it is. So we see the early stages of that church. We see some of the first people that were a part of that church, a, a rich lady, a, a seller of purple goods named Lydia. Uh, we also suspect a, a young slave girl, very poor, who had been delivered from an evil spirit, would have joined that congregation. And today we get to see another addition to the new church, at least when this was being written, in Philippi. So please stand with me if you're able as we honor the reading of God's Word. Just to give you a context, Paul and Silas, after they helped the young slave girl, uh, the town did not like it one bit, and it was all because of financial reasons. So they were thrown in jail, they were beaten, and all those things. Then we pick up in verse 25. About midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God. And the prisoners were listening to them. And suddenly, there was a earth, great earthquake, so that the foundations of the prison were shaken. And immediately, all the doors were opened, and everyone's bonds were unfastened. When the jailer woke and saw that the prison doors were open, he drew his sword and was about to kill himself, supposing that the prisoners had escaped. But Paul cried with a loud voice, Do not harm yourself, for we are all here. And the jailer called for lights and rushed in. And trembling with fear, he fell down before Paul and Silas. Then brought them out and said, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? And they said, Believe in the Lord Jesus, and you will be saved, you and your household. And they spoke the word of the Lord to him and to all who were in his house. And he took them the same hour of the night and washed their wounds. And he was baptized at once, he and all his family. Then he brought them out, brought them up into his house and set food before them. And he rejoiced along with his entire household that he had believed in God. But when it was day, the magistrates sent the police saying, let those men go. And the jailer reported these words to Paul, saying, The magistrates have sent to let you go. Therefore, come out now and go in peace. But Paul said to them, They have beaten us publicly, uncondemned, men who are Roman citizens, and have thrown us into prison. And do they now throw us out secretly? No. Let them come themselves and take us out. The police reported these words to the magistrates, and they were afraid when they heard they were Roman citizens. So they came and apologized to them, and they took them out and asked them to leave the city. 
So they, Paul and Silas, went out of the prison and visited Lydia. And when they had seen the brothers, they encouraged them and departed. Let's pray. Lord, as we come to your word here, as we hear a true story that took place over 2,000 years ago, Lord, I pray you'll open our eyes to help us understand what's going on here. And I pray that we'll be able to gain practical and applicable truth into our own lives as believers here and now in the year of 2024. Lord, I pray that you will do whatever is necessary to, to lead people to you. Uh, our story today consists of an earthquake. Lord, if that be the case, so be it. But Father, I pray you'll bless the preaching of your word. I pray the Holy Spirit be the preacher today, and I pray hearts will be receptive. Please remove any distractions away from this place today. In Jesus' name, amen. May be seated. Every church has a beginning. West Acres Baptist Church has a beginning. We had a history lesson just this past year on our 40th anniversary. Every church has a beginning. Every church has its first members. Uh, some folks that are here today are, are the first members of a church plant 40 years ago, years ago called West Acres Baptist Church. But this is what we see taking place today in Acts chapter 16. Our story focuses on one of the first members. Some of y'all hate that word. It's biblical. First members of the newly planted church in Philippi. And that church member, we don't know his name. He's just known as the Philippian jailer. This man was, this man was not saved at a Sunday gathering. He wasn't saved through the efforts of, of an outreach like fall festival. But this man was saved in the middle of the night at the local jail. This is his story. So let's take a look at it. It begins, interestingly, with a concert. A concert. Look at verse 25. About, about midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God, and the prisoners were listening to them. In verse 25, don't miss this. This is the first Christian concert in Scripture. It didn't take place on a stage. It didn't take place on a, in a church house. But it took place in the middle of the night in a jailhouse. Paul and Silas are in the inner dungeon of a nasty Philippian jail. Their feet are fastened to stocks. Just so you know what stocks are referring to here, this was a mechanism that would, you would put a person in to inflict great pain and cramping. Uh, that you would take the person's legs and spread them apart, put them in uh, wooden holes to hold them in place. It would cause great, great pain and a lot of cramping. And let's not forget what happened to Paul and Silas earlier in the day. They were stripped of their clothes and they were beaten with rods. Uh, their backs were bloodied and bruised, probably oozing all sorts of, of nasty things from the beating they had. So they're sitting here in this, this nasty jail, unlawfully, by the way. So I want you to get that picture in your minds. Paul and Silas, they're in a great deal of pain in this moment. Yet in our text today, you don't see them complaining. You don't see them cursing God. You don't even see them weeping. But you see them praying and singing hymns. Not just praying and singing hymns, but they were doing these things to God. They were praying to the Lord. They had joy 
in the midst of their suffering. That is something only a believer in Jesus Christ can understand. That is something only a believer in Jesus Christ uh, can experience. Joy in the midst of suffering. This is a theme throughout the New Testament that we see in James chapter uh, 1, verses 2 through 3. James, the half-brother of our Lord, says, Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds. For you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. In addition to joy, we see that these men have a, have a peace about them. Who on earth could be singing and praying at midnight in the jail uh, when all these things have been done unlawfully? Huh. People that have the peace and joy of God. These things can only come from Jesus Christ. In fact, if you look at the book of Galatians, both joy and peace are a fruit of the Holy Spirit. This shows us, I want you to get this in mind, church. I, I think Rob alluded to this. He, he said, you know, these folks were, were sitting here singing like they were in a church, but many of us sit in a church like we're sitting in a prison. Circumstances do not dictate your worship or theology. You don't come in here and just raise your hands when you feel like it. You don't come in here and sing with all your heart when you feel like it. You're supposed to do that no matter what. Because remember who we're worshiping. We are worshiping the God of this universe. We are worshiping the King of kings and the Lord of lords. Circumstances do not dictate worship. That's the case here for Paul and Silas. Jesus is king in every circumstance, so he is worthy of worship at all times. Even at midnight in a jail, with your back hurting, your legs cramping, all of those things. Notice that Paul and Silas, I'm, I get Silas so confused with Barnabas. He's the new Barnabas, by the way. If you're, if you're new to our story, he replaced Barnabas. Uh, but Paul and Silas, they aren't the only ones in the jail. Go back to verse 25. While they're praying and singing hymns, somebody's listening to them. That's why I called it a concert. The other prisoners were, were in there listening to what these men had to say. So these men are not only praising God, but they are displaying a powerful witness to these other prisoners, which is an important lesson we never need to forget. Never forget there is a lost world watching you and listening to you. We always have an audience. Let me share this news story with you. You might be familiar with this. In October uh, 2022, a pro-life advocate in Tennessee by the name of Paul Vaughn was arrested at gunpoint as the FBI raided his house to arrest him in front of his wife and his children, not for something that he had done immediately, but it was an event that took place almost a year prior. Paul was a part, he, he's a pro-life advocate, and he was peacefully protesting at an abortion clinic. Maybe you're familiar with this story. The FBI went to this man's property, arrested him at gunpoint, put him in a car, and drove away. You can look up the protest. There's video footage. You know what Paul and his fellow protesters were doing? They were praying and singing hymns. Just this past month, January 2024, Paul Vaughn and five others were found guilty in a federal court 
for their peaceful protest outside this abortion facility. Folks, they now face a maximum of 11 years in federal prison. We need to be praying for these folks. We need to be praying for them. We need to stay in touch with their story because this is not the kind of stuff you're going to see in mainstream news. But we need to be praying for these folks. That they will be sentenced in the month of July this year. So keep in touch with that. But after they received the guilty verdict, you know what Paul Vaughn and his fellow protesters did outside that courthouse? They sang hymns to God. Even after receiving their guilty verdict, even in the midst of their persecution, I would call it persecution, and their trial, a literal trial, these brothers and sisters in Christ continued to praise God, the very thing that put them on trial in the first place. Paul Vaughn admits that going to prison would have a devastating impact, hear this, on his 11 children. This is a man that cares for life. He produces a lot of it. But he trusts that God can use whatever happens for good. In a recent news interview, Paul Vaughn said this, if God wants me to have a jail ministry and I get to go share with people that are incarcerated, that have no hope, and I can bring the hope of Christ into the jail systems and minister to them, if that's what he wants, then I'm his obedient servant. Dear church, may we have a witness like that when we are faced with trials, sufferings, and persecution. And let us not forget that there's a lost world watching and there's a lost world listening. With that being said, let's give them a concert that points to Jesus. Amen? After this concert, verse 25, we get to the main point, the main part of this passage, and that is the conversion. The conversion of the, Phil, uh, not Filipino, uh, Philippian jailer. <laughs> Paul and Silas, as they're praying and singing, guess who shows up? God. God shows up and he shows off. He brings an earthquake to the jail. Uh, while this area would have been familiar with earthquakes, we know that this earthquake is a miracle of God. One, it seems localized right here at the jail in Philippi. But here's the interesting thing about this event. It's not just an earthquake that shakes the foundation of the jail. All the doors open in the jail, and all the chains are unfastened. This is a miracle of God. Look at verse 27. When the jailer woke and saw that the prison doors were open, he drew his sword and was about to kill himself, supposing that the prisoners had escaped. And why would he do that? Why would he be so rash to make that decision well, here's the punishment for a jailer who allows his prisoners to escape in the Roman system. The jailer would receive the same sentence as the prisoners that escaped. And most of the time, the jailer would be executed. So instead of facing shame and death, the, the jailer makes the decision just to take his own life. He doesn't want to face those things. He doesn't want to face death at the hand of the Romans, because they're really good at it, by the way. So he pulls out his sword. He's about to kill himself. But verse 28, but Paul cried out with a loud voice, do not harm yourself, for we are all here. After this, the, the jailer rushes in and falls before Paul and Silas. He's, he's trembling 
with fear. He's trembling because the earth was just trembling. But think about that. It is midnight. He just woke up in his sleep to, a, to an earthquake, which would be terrifying. I've never lived through anything like that. I don't want to, but that would be terrifying in itself. He, he was terrified that his job w- was done, that all of the prisoners had escaped. But folks, he was about to kill himself. I mean, he was about to do it. His mind was made up. This man was facing death in the face. So he's trembling. And it's at this very moment when he comes to Paul and Silas, this man asks the most important question in all of life. If you want to know what the most important question in all of life is, take it from the Philippian jailer in verse 30. He says this. He asks this question. Sirs, What must I do to be saved? That's the most important question a person can ever ask. What must I do to be saved? This man was lost, and he had just faced death. Uh, He he had just seen his life flash before his eyes. He, He probably thought of his wife and children. But folks, when you are staring at a sword or staring at a gun, staring at death face to face, you are thinking about death. You are thinking about what's next. You are thinking about eternity. All of these things are going through this man's mind right now. He didn't have a clue about salvation. But he knew two people that did. He knew that Paul and Silas had the answer because he had heard about all the things that had taken place in town. He had heard about the injustice that led them to the jail in the first place. Some believe this man was the very one that that beat Paul and Silas across the back. But he knew they were preachers. He knew they were speaking about this salvation in a man named Jesus Christ. He knew they had something he wanted who, who can sing in the middle of the night with this much pain and, and have joy? This man wanted what Paul and Silas had. He wanted it. He knew they had the answer. So he asked the question. Paul and Silas don't hesitate. They give the answer. They said, believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved. You and your household Those of you who have been living in the Bible Belt, you've probably heard this all of your life. Believe in Jesus. Believe in Jesus. What does that mean? What what does it mean to believe in Jesus? Well, it means a couple things. First, you're to believe in who Jesus claimed to be. Who did he claim to be? He claimed to be the Son of God. You're to believe everything the Scriptures say about this one named Jesus Christ. So we're, we're to believe in who he claimed to be, but you're also to believe in what he did. And what did Jesus do? Jesus died on the cross for your sin. He died on the cross for your sin, my sin. He was a substitute to take God's wrath against sin on the cross. Not only died, he was dead. <laughs> He was buried for three days. And the Bible also teaches that he rose again on the third day. We're to believe in who Jesus claimed to be, but we're also to believe in what Jesus did. Those are the things that we are to believe in. Those are the things that we are, here, maybe this is a better word, trust. Trust in. 
Throughout Scripture, the answer is going to be the same. Salvation comes through faith in Jesus Christ alone. Jesus Christ alone. The answer was the same then, it's the same today, and it will always be the same. Verse 32 reveals that Paul and Silas didn't just say, believe in Jesus, and that's it. They didn't just say, believe in Jesus, brother. Talk to you later. No, Verse 32 reveals that they, they went into the scriptures, that they explained things, that, that they, they helped connect the dots for this man. This man was not, he, he wasn't even a God-fearer. He was a pagan. He didn't even have faith in one God, so he was probably having to hear a whole lot of stuff in verse 32. But he most definitely heard about his need to repent, his need to, to trust Christ for forgiveness. And if he were to follow through with those things, I bet you Paul and Silas, Talk to him about baptism. Because we see that coming to the picture shortly. Verses 33 and 34, we see that the man indeed got saved. Amen. He got saved. But he didn't just get saved. This man led his family to the Lord. That's one of the greatest things a person can possibly do when they get saved. They can't keep it to themselves. They can't contain it. And who are the first people we should share salvation with? Our families. The people we love the most. Folks, this is the crazy part. We're not reading about 12 months of information right here. This stuff took place in the middle of the night. And what are you you're saying? I just don't believe that. I don't believe his son believed. I think his wife would probably need some more explaining to do. Let me remind you, there was an earthquake uh, tonight, okay? These folks have been shaken. They were receptive to the truth. To be clear, this man's family was not saved by proxy, by his faith. But each person followed his example in believing in the Lord. And that's something some of, somebody needs to hear today, that you are not saved because your mom and daddy are saved. You're not saved because your daddy's a deacon. You're not saved because your, your daddy's a preacher. You're not saved because your grandma's a godly woman. I, I love somebody put it like this. God has no grandchildren. He only has children. I know it sounds awesome that this, this Philippian jailer, his whole house came to be saved. But folks, they did. And they did that by each individual coming to, to faith. Each individual believing in Christ just like their dad did. Just like the jailer. Each person who believed got baptized. Notice in verse 33, there is no delay in baptism. He was baptized at once. He had to find a water source to clean those, those wounds of Paul and Silas. But wherever they were, they were able to have baptism. He not only got baptized, but his family got baptized. We were able to see that example today through Jessica, Jordan, and Jenna, Ed, so thankful for their example and their obedience. But baptism is the first step of obedience for a believer. It's the believer's profession of faith. It's the believer's way of telling the world, I believe in Jesus Christ. I am a follower of Jesus Christ. I love having a time, and I'm committed to this, I love having a time where people can respond to the gospel at the end of a service. Anytime the gospel has been preached, I believe there should be an opportunity to respond. But hear me, church. Hear me, Baptist church. Walking an aisle is not a profession of faith. 
Baptism is the biblical profession of faith. It's the biblical profession of faith. With that said, I don't know who needs to hear this, but I know there's someone every Sunday, if you are a believer today and you have not followed through with believers' baptism, quit putting it off. I don't care if you got saved last week. I don't care if you got saved 25 years ago. If you're just like, man, I got saved 25 years ago. I'm so embarrassed because I haven't been baptized yet. Brother, nobody's going to say anything about you. We're going to rejoice with you. And you know that if you were to follow through with baptism, what an example that would be for other people that are in the same boat and the same situation. So quit putting it off. Quit living in disobedience. Because that's what it is. Baptism isn't a salvation thing. Baptism is an obedience thing. And I love how this text today, we we can see it, uh, that salvation came before baptism. If your story has baptism before salvation, I urge you to get your baptism in the right order. And I I, I want you to be clear on this. If you get your baptism in the right order, don't go telling people, I got baptized twice. I need to get a second baptism. I need to be re-baptized. Throw that verbiage out the door. Because I want you to know this. If you got baptized before you were saved, that baptism is meaningless. It's not even worth talking about. It's not even worth referring to. Baptism should take place after salvation to communicate what has taken place in your life. So, so hear this, if you're on the fence, maybe you're the person that's been sitting in the pew for years contemplating, oh, should I do this? It keeps coming up. Hear this, salvation comes before baptism. Baptism comes after salvation. Let's get it in the right order. And I believe God will bless us doing things his way. This man not only got baptized, but he also displayed fruit in his newfound Christian life. Look at verse 34. He washed the wounds of Paul and Silas. Um, he displayed uh, Christian hospitality by, by providing a meal for these men in his home. Moreover, what do we see him doing? We see him rejoicing. He now has the joy that Paul and Silas had earlier in this story. This man was saved. This man's life was changed in an instant. Folks, I want you to know this. If you've ever read this story, there are a few jailbreaks in the book of Acts. But this earthquake that we see in this story, it was not to save Paul and Silas from jail, but it was to save the jailer and his family from hell. Nobody runs away. Nobody gets out. Even the other guys, they're sitting still. They're probably like, oh, goodness, I'm just going to stay put. Nobody breaks out of jail. We see a lot of chains broken in this story. But, folks, the spiritual chains in the Philippian jailer's life were broken. The chains in his family's life were broken. Satan thought he had the upper hand, saying, yeah, I got Paul and Silas in jail. Man, that was just a part of God's growth plan. I need Paul and Silas in jail so they can lead this man and his family to the Lord. That's church growth. That's how the church in Philippi grew. The missionaries going to jail. 
I think it's funny. We have some folks in our, our own church today. They go to jail every week. Did you know that? Miss Norma Reed, the way they, that we make fun of her, uh, celebrate recovery. She, she goes to jail every week. She's not arrested. But she goes there to minister to people each and every week. Praise God for prison and jail ministry. So we close this chapter. We see Paul's concern for the new church in Philippi. That's our final point, the concern. What am I referring to there? Let's look at verses 35 through uh, 37. But when it was day, the magistrates, that being the, uh, the ones in charge of the, of the town, they sent the police saying, let those men go. And the jail reported these words to Paul saying, these magistrates have sent to let you go. Therefore, come out now and go in peace. But Paul said to them, they have beaten us publicly, uncondemned, men who are Roman citizens and have thrown us into prison. And do they now throw us out secretly? No. Let them come themselves and take us out. Man, Paul, what got into him? At first glance, it appears he's just going a little too far with this request. It, it would appear the Christian thing to do, but like, Paul, just be graceful. Just, just go. Just, just go on home. Get back to the mission field, Paul. But no, don't miss this. This is very important. This is something we need to know about today. This goes back to the, the, the illustration earlier about Paul Vaughn and, and those pro-life advocates that are facing jail time. The church is not just to stay quiet. The church isn't to shut up. But we see Paul speaking up because an injustice is taking place in this, in this town. Paul and Silas were arrested and beaten unlawfully. They did nothing wrong. But then, here, here's the best part of the story. This is where it's revealed. They are Roman citizens. Folks, in this time of history, in this place, that was a golden ticket. That was golden too. I mean, it's a lot like having United States citizenship. But, I mean, the Romans actually followed the rules for the most part. But it was illegal to beat or imprison a Roman citizen without a formal hearing. Also, a Roman citizen could appeal their case to Caesar. Paul wanted this wrong to be made right, not just for his sake, but for the church's sake. If he didn't address this injustice, what would that have said about this new little group of people in Philippi? What would that have said about this, this new church, these, these followers of Jesus Christ? It would have said this, they are trouble. They are trouble. You saw the two guys, they beat them, they threw them in jail. Those folks are trouble, stay away from them. Paul was concerned with the reputation of the church. He didn't want this newly formed church in Philippi to, to have disgrace or to be mistreated. He wanted the church to be above reproach, free of scandal. That's such an important qualification for the pastors and the leaders of the church. But this is what Paul is wanting for the entire church. This is an important lesson for us today in the United States where we're seeing more and more hostility, more and more folks turning their backs on Christianity. The church is not to simply absorb injustice. Now, don't get me wrong. Vengeance belongs to God. Vengeance is His. I'm not saying to take vengeance, but we are not to sit there and absorb injustice. We have a voice. We can take a stand. We can point out wrongs. 
especially when the reputation of the church and the gospel is at stake. The church is not supposed to bury its head in the dirt, but the church is supposed to speak up for truth and righteousness. And folks, I want you to know this. We have a great opportunity living where we live today to do those things. We have freedoms to do those things. We, we, we have privileges. We have, we have rights. We're not supposed to just absorb injustice, but we are supposed to speak up against such things. We're not supposed to just be quiet. I'm so thankful we see this example of Paul speaking up on this wrong that had come towards him and the new church. After hearing these words, the, the magistrates were afraid because they knew they had broken the law. They knew they could be punished. And they knew, guess what, that they would probably lose their positions of power. So what do they do? They come back up and they're like, Paul, we're sorry. But will y'all get out of town? They go up to these men and they apologize and they ask them to leave town. Paul settles for it. But he does make an example of these folks so they won't be taking advantage of these new Christians in Philippi. Verse 40, we see them exiting town, heading to the next place. So it says, they went out of the prison and visited Lydia. And when they had seen the brothers, they encouraged them and departed. Before they left town, they stopped at Lydia's house. And Lydia must have had a pretty nice house. She was a rich lady. But her house apparently was the meeting place for this new church in Philippi. Because Paul, it says, he, he met with the brothers, talking about the brethren, the church, and he encouraged them before they departed town. So you have this new church in Philippi, but folks, it is growing. It is growing, and I, I just want to say this. It's a diverse church. It's a diverse church. What do I mean by that? Just think of all the the socioeconomical differences in the, in the people that join this church, all, all the different walks of life. You got this rich lady named Lydia, seller of purple goods. I know rich people get a bad rap, but folks, the church needs some rich people, okay? We need them to tithe, okay? But um, the church also had poor people. I hear a witness out there. It had a slave girl. I mean, slave was the lowest of low. Now, I believe the slave girl eventually became part of this congregation because she was freed of that, that evil spirit and that bondage that Paul had freed her from. So you got the rich lady. You got the slave girl. Who's next? Who's the, who's the third charter member of Philippi? The blue-collar jailer. Not just the blue-collar jailer, but his whole family as well as Lydia's family. These are the people, I just want you to have a context of your Bible. Because sometimes we just, we, we disconnect things. These are, the, these are the individuals Paul is thinking about when he wrote that letter that's in your Bibles called the letter to the Philippians. These are the individuals Paul had on his mind when he wrote these words. I thank my God in all my remembrance of you. Always in every prayer of mine for you all making my prayer with joy. Because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day 
until now. And I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. God did start a good work in the church in Philippi, and I believe he's, he's still using the work of the church in Philippi. What do we know about this church? It was one of the first churches in Europe. Because the gospel went forth through Europe, folks, that's why we're sitting here today praising Jesus. That's why folks here today know the gospel. It's because of what took place here in Scripture, in Europe, Philippi, that we have a gospel presence here today in the United States. God did a mighty work through this church. And I want you to think about this. That Philippian jailer, God, in his infinite wisdom and almighty power, he said, that man's got to be in this church. That man's going to be in this church. That man's going to be a member of this church. I believe God did mighty things with that Philippian jailer. We'll learn his name one day, but, but why do I believe God did mighty things with that church member, the Philippian jailer? Because God moved the earth to get that man saved. So here's my prayer today. I pray that God will continue moving the same way today. Amen? Let's pray.